I like the first part of that introduction better than the second part. <laughs> I was thinking when he was saying, I say, you know, those are the kind of introductions that are really wonderful to listen to, but it's kind of like a good perfume. It's okay to smell it, but don't swallow it all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, when we talk about filling up the gas tank, how many miles we go on it, um, he hangs his head comparing cars. So, anyhow, uh, that was tremendous preaching we heard. What can I, why didn't you let me go first? What can I say now? I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of the situation where the big toe said to the little toe, I think we're being followed by heel. <laughs> I can say this. I was young and now I'm old. I can say that with conviction, what David said in Psalms 37. Because in 2020, I hit the big 7-0. In biblical language, this is three score years and ten, the life of man. Recently, I was once again reminded how out of touch that I am with the digital society. When we were traveling, stopped at a filling station, and upon entering the restroom, I heard someone somewhere say, Hello. I said, Yes, hello. He said, How are you today? I said, I'm fine. How's the weather down your way? He said, Well, it's much nicer than it is up here. I mean, I don't see why people want to live up north when we still have real estate for sale down south. He said, He said, How's your health been? And I started to tell, well, you know, being older, my 60s now, and, uh, and uh, but I had polio when I was a little kid, and I was starting to tell, and right in the middle of it, he interrupted me and say, hey, listen up, my friend, can I call you back later? This fellow two stalls over thinks he has to say something every time I say something to you. So, folks, when I tell you things aren't what they used to be, I mean it. All my days of courting, I did with a horse and buggy. Can you believe that? You say, how romantic, how romantic that sounds. Well, folks, it was romantic, but the horse and buggy had nothing to do with it. And somebody said, did you have a horse and buggy at the wedding, too? Yeah, so did the 150 people that were there for the wedding. <laughs> now, no, I didn't live 100 years ago, but I lived in an Amish society. Have you heard about the Amishman who found himself on a witness stand in a courtroom, a uh, place where they don't want to be, but the opposing attorney, attorney pressed him with the questions. He said, I know that my client's car hit your buggy, with much damage, but is it not true when the investigating officer at the scene of the accident asked you if you're okay, you said you're perfectly fine? And the Amishman said, well, it was like this. When the car hit my buggy, it put it in splinter. 
and and somebody called the sheriff and the sheriff came out and we were scattered on the road and the horse was had two legs broken and and he went over there and he said my oh my and he shot the horse and then my dog rover was laying on the other side and he was all bloodied and banged up and and the sheriff came over there and he said he looked at the dog and he said my friend i sure hate to do this but i'm doing you a favor bang he shot him dead he said he comes over to me and i was laying on the pavement <laughs> Don't get ahead of my story now. I'm telling the story. <laughs> how, are you, how are you feeling, sir? And he said, I felt it just the right thing to say. I'm feeling perfectly fine. <laughs> We're going to open our Bibles this morning to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter said, I now write this second epistle, beloved. The second epistle Peter wrote for a purpose. And he said, I now write it unto you of, who are of a pure mind, to stir up, yeah, to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Folks, we got stirred up this morning, didn't we? We got stirred up this morning. That's what preaching does. That's what it's meant to do, to stir up the pure mind. But folks, sometimes we find ourselves preaching, and I wonder if one of the reasons is people don't get stirred up because they don't have pure minds anymore. It is very important that we, that we think right. Statistics say that the average Baptist pastor stays less than five years, from 3.6 to 6 years in their churches before they move on. Hence, I want to preach this morning on the necessity of staying where God leads you. Um, the Apostle Paul was a missionary. You could call him an evangelist. He couldn't stay in any one place too long. And yet there was much to do, much to be done after he was through doing what he did, leading them to the Lord. When somebody leads somebody to Christ, the spiritual journey, the spiritual walk has just begun. There is still, he's still on first base. Somebody needs to take him to second base. And the one on first base is dependent on what happens up at the batter's plate to get him on second place. And now when he's on second base, he still has to go to third base. He's dependent on somebody else to take him the rest of the way. Preachers, we're on the batter's plate. We need to get him home on home base. And by the way, when he makes that home plate, he finally gets around, all the way around, he's fixing to go another time and fixing to go again. The first word of the Great Commission is go. 
the first line of the Great Commission, found in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and preach. Acts chapter 1. The Bible says, but ye shall, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Boy, a man likes power. Man, we love power, don't we? Uh, all, uh, the, the Bible says, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs unto our God. You better understand it, preacher. If you've got power, it's, it's, it's a borrowed power. It's from God. The God of Israel giveth strength and power to his people. And we are his people. Blessed be God. So, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Why? That ye may be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and into the uttermost part of the earth. That's why we receive power. is for his glory, for God's glory. And so let's read a portion of scripture here. Um, in, uh, in Titus chapter, uh, Titus chapter 1, Paul is servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Boy, I, listen folks, our program started a long time ago. And, uh, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And verse 5 is our text found. For this cause have I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. Okay, so Paul looks around for someone to carry on the work that he had started there, led many to the Lord. And what's he going to look for? The first thing, somebody who is faithful. Faithfulness. The Bible puts great premium on faithfulness. Who is faithful to his church, faithful to his family. Hello. Faithful to his job. That's important. The one fellow said, I looked all over for a job, started several jobs, and, and they let me go. And I, was, I thought I was the best worker there, but nobody kept me. And one day I woke up, and I had a craving for chicken, fried chicken. And I just realized, I'm called to the ministry. You know, somebody who's faithful to God is faithful to those other things too. Somebody who is busy for God. I remember a preacher when you ordained me to be a preacher of the gospel. You said God is looking for busy people, for people who are doing something. And, and those are the people that God uses. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Give it all you got, for there's no work, there's no device, in the grave 
whether to we go, and we're all headed there. And so uh, it's good to have a passion too. I mean, have a passion. The Bible says in, in uh, Galatians chapter 4, it is good, it is a good thing to be zealous always, it is good to be zealous always in a good thing. Excited. And so I have a passion for soul and a love for people. Yes, Titus was such a man. I believe Titus was a man's man. He was young, but he was a man's man. I, I'm amazed in the Bible to find how many of the disciples and how many young people that God put his finger on and, and called them and used them for a, great, for a great work. I reckon Paul was always looking for men who showed themselves real men. Every generation has a high demand for men that are real men. I don't think there's anything wrong in America today that couldn't be corrected if we had some real men with some real backbone. Well, I'm talking about the same thing that King David. You know, King David was on his deathbed. And uh, uh, th this, was, this might have been several days before he died, but he was on his deathbed. The Bible says the days came to pass when David was to die in 1 Kings chapter 2. And what did he do? He called his son Solomon. He was on his deathbed. And he called his son. He had something, something to say to him. I'll get to that in a moment. But I say that Titus was in the category of real men. And David told Solomon to be a real man. So Paul said this. I believe to Titus that I need a real man, and so he called Titus to take the place and do the work that he had started there. And so the title of my message today is, Titus, you stay in Crete. Why? Because there was a cause. There was a cause there. It was God's cause. You know, it adds a lot of uh, whip to do to us when we understand we're in the middle of God's call. It's, it is God's call. So what was the inspiration that moved and stirred David to take on Goliath? I don't remember anything else you preached that day, but 30, 35 years ago you preached something and, and, and you said that, that, that you said the story about David and you said, uh, preacher, that David, David came out there and, and the whole army looked at Goliath and he said, he's too big to take. But David looked at him and said, wow, that fellow's too big to miss. <laughs> but the real reason is, David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And the cause was God's cause. But it was faithfulness that taught David. He was faithful in killing the bear. He was faithful in saving his sheep from the mouth of the lion. And now, this was just another bear. This was just another lion, except his name was Goliath. It seems, though, that words from a deathbed carry more weight, carry more conviction. Dying words are measured and repeated and talked about. 
And these were the dying words of David. The Bible says the days, the day came, the time came when it was for David to die. And he called his son Solomon to his, to his bedside. He said, son, he charged Solomon. Word charged is used there. He charged Solomon. What do you think he charged him for? I mean, he, he, he was going to challenge him. The, the word charge used as a, as a challenge. Uh, was he going to talk about some national issues? Because there were surely a whole bunch of things that, his, that, that were started and not finished. Or would it have been his family affair? Oh, I can imagine. If, if, if anybody has family problems, it's somebody with more than one wife. How many people have family problems with just one wife? Some of you have problems just getting a wife. I'm sure you have more after you get her. <clears throat> now, what, what was he going to talk about? Was he going to talk about the palace? He could have talked about family problems because he said, you know, when I got your mother, you think he told him that story? Some things in our, hi in our, in, in, in our history are not good. Some things we don't want to talk about. I don't mind talking about when, but when we went to school, we, 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 we didn't have a car, we didn't have a bus. We, we went to school, it was five miles. And we, we walked it. And uh, it was uphill both ways. The snow was so deep that we walked right over the fence rows. We had to duck the electric line poles, uh, electric line. Now, what was he going to talk about? No. This is what David said. I charge thee. Therefore, because he said, I go, I go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. I charge thee therefore. Be strong and show thyself a man. Show thyself a man. Oh, how we need, we need real men in the pulpit. We need men. And I, I'm amazed at how many missionaries we have come by and people that gave up lucrative jobs because God called them into the, his full-time work. So Paul told Titus, stay in Crete. Why? To set things in order. There were things out of order. Uh, now, I want you to con consider the condition in Crete. You study what kind of people he had to deal with. This is a mighty tall order for him to be there and to be a church planter in Crete. Uh, look at verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, he was talking about Epimeditus, and he lived 600 years before. He said, the, Colossians, the Cretans are always liars, evil bellies, evil beasts, I mean, and slow bellies. Now, slow bellies, let me put that in the modern-day vernacular, fat couch potatoes. Gossipers. Well, in verse 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they have the circumcision. Oh, my, he only ha also had uh, converted Jews there. We're telling everybody, you got to keep the law in order to go to heaven. I know all about that. I was brought up in a religion like that myself. And, and so in verse 13, he said, 
This witness is true. What witness is true? What the poet had said 600 years before. In fact, it was so bad that when, when people wanted to talk, describe somebody as how bad they were, if they were liars, they said, yeah, uh, they're, they're Cretans. Even if they weren't from, from uh, Crete, they were called Cretans. In 1985, I was 35 years old. Pastor Stowe ordained me to the ministry. I remember when he talked about it, and I, it, was, it was pretty new to me because we had just been at the church there for several years now. And, uh, and, uh, and, but, oh, I got excited when, uh, after I was ordained, and uh, the church down the road, nine miles down the road, called me to be the pastor. I was giddy with excitement and expect, high expectation. Nobody had bothered to tell me that the church was 20, just 20 years old and no pastor had stayed there longer than two years. But I was excited. Let's just say that I was long on enthusiasm and very short on knowledge. I had uh, high expectations, but I was a zero in experience. On the other hand, there were some there that made it their ministry to make sure that uh, I would receive a sufficient measure of pastoral tribulation. But the one thing I had in my favor was that Pastor Stowe had taught me the one all-important thing is to stay faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to God. Faithfulness. I remember in describing what... What are you talking about faithfulness? And he illustrated it like this. He said, well, uh, churches, we have three services a week. So be in church every time the doors are open. When we have special meetings, be at church. He said, what would you think of your car? And boy, we thought a lot of our car. What did you think of your car started one out of three times? Or maybe just Two out of three times it would start. You'd do something by I mean, that, that can't be acceptable. But we think it's acceptable to God for us to decide how faithful will we be. If you wake up on a Sunday morning and your kids ask you, are we going to church today or not? You're not right with God. At least you're not being faithful. Faithfulness is important. Let me just skip over a whole bunch of things. I stayed at that church for my two years, too, plus 20 years. So 22 years. <laughs> I remember during that time, there was crying. I wrote out my letter of resignation, and I wanted it to sound really good. In, in a bad, that's a bad situation. I planned to read it on a Sunday morning, and uh, I had written it out word for word so I wouldn't say anything wrong. Uh, <clears throat> and then... The Lord reminded me, you know, you wouldn't want to stop now when there's, there's some things you need to do. And there's some things you've been slacking, you've been lacking. So I, I'm going to have to get that straightened out before I read this letter. And making a long story short, I still got the letter. I never read it. I still, the Lord wouldn't give me the freedom. 
to read that letter. Stay in Crete, Titus. But Brother Paul, please understand, I hate this place. This is a place, a basket of deplorables. A basket full of liars, cheaters, lazy bums. You'll find it all in the, in the, in the, in, in the text here. It, in verse 10 it says, Many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, and Paul said, Titus, I want you to make spiritual leaders out of these people. I want you to mature them in the faith. Come on, Paul, have mercy on me. I want to go with you. The exciting things are happening up in Jerusalem and in Ephesus. Stay in Crete, Titus. Stay in Crete, Titus. But there's a bunch of nutcases here. Not to mention the false teachers. If I dismiss everybody that isn't worthy, I have nobody. Wow. Right here you find church building material. Hello? Well, Pastor, I often go back to the things that you taught. You said, now if those folks at Community Baptist Church, if they were perfect people, you wouldn't have a place to preach. They're not perfect people, and you're going to find that out. And because of that, God needs you there. And so you just work faithfully and trying to build them up. I think of three reasons that Paul told him, Titus, stay in Crete. Number one, God wanted Titus in Crete. Crete. The Lord needed a mouthpiece. The Lord needed a witness in that terrible place. So that one day, when God calls them up to the white throne judgment, the ones who refuse to get saved, God's going to say, look at what you turned down. Remember Titus preaching to you? And you said no to it. Even lost people need to hear the gospel. Even the people that you think, don't do any good to talk to them, they still need to hear it. They still need to hear it. The Lord needed a witness, a mouthpiece in Crete. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost have, have filled you, uh, and you shall be witnesses to me in both Jerusalem and Judea, all over the world, be witnesses. God doesn't give you the power of God so you can show off in front of a church, your church people. God gives you the power to witness to the lost people. And so, Paul said, so as much as in me is, he said that uh, in Romans chapter 1, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you also. And you say, well, I'm ready to preach the gospel too. Yeah, would you be ready to do it in Rome when they're ready to cut your head off? That's where Paul got decapitated years later. That's where he got killed. But he says, I'm ready. That means he's ready to, to pay the price. And there is a price to pay. But there's also a great privilege in being a preacher. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Titus said, yeah, you said the Jew first. Let me go preach to you. Let me go up to Jerusalem and preach. No, you stay here and preach. 
I want to do something that I've never done before. And when you're preaching 35 years, that, that scares people when, they, when you say something <laughs> like that. But I don't know you preachers here very well, but I'd like to honor all the preachers that are into or have been into church planting. That's one of the hardest work, planting a church. You've got this kind of material to work with, and it's very discouraging. I want to honor every church planter here today by, by asking you to stand. Would you please stand? If you're a church planter, would you please stand? Wow. One, two, three, four. You know, we're, we're, we... I consider him a great preacher, and he considers me a great preacher, and we don't consider ourselves great, but uh, we like to think that we're preachers. But we have n neither one of us has, has planted a church. And so I just want to say thank you, fella, because we don't need mega churches today. We don't need more mega churches today. We need, we need a little place here, a little place there, everywhere where people can go to church and hear the Word of God preach. Thank you, fellas. You may be seated. When Ivan came here six years ago, I, I, I say Ivan. That's how I called him when I just before I spanked him too. And <clears throat> but I, when Pastor Ivan came here six years ago, I had some fatherly advice for him. I said, "Son, if God calls you to Brookings, He's calling you to stay there." Now, one of the first things you go, you do when you get there is you look to buy a house. It means you're going to stay. And then, number two, I had three things. You want to hear the second one too? Okay, number two, you buy yourself two cemetery lots. One for you, one for your wife. Now, it might be a good idea not to tell the church about that because sometimes... <laughs> There's some upstarts that might want to hurry things up. <laughs> Number three, for the first 20 years, don't you be sending out your resume. Don't you ever think of Bible Baptist Church in Brookings as a stepping stone to something bigger and better. Stay in Crete, Titus. Number two, the first one was God wanted Titus in Crete. Number two, the Cretans needed Titus. They didn't even know it. Forgive me, but I'm going to get emotional on this one. Pastor Stowe, when you came to Philadelphia in 1983, we came in 1984, just a little after you, you got there. How well I remember. That first day, we came to Philadelphia Baptist Church. And the reason we came was something that he did. And I'm so glad. He, was, he decided when he was still in college that he wants to be ordained by the receiving church instead of the sending church. That's kind of unusual. But that's what he wanted. And so he had sent out a little flyer to all the Philadelphia route. There's going to be an ordination service at the Philadelphia Baptist Church on this Sunday in January. And so we got that. I said, wow, I have got to see that. I talked to Joe about it, and Joe Schrock, and I talked to my sister, Matt, and her husband, 
And there was three of us couples. I said, let's go see that. So we hired ourselves a driver to take us because we, we figured it wouldn't have a hitching rack at the church. And so um, we got ourselves a driver, and when we got there, we got our billfolds out to pay the driver. And she said, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't charge you to take you to church. Later, we found out she's one of your backslidden people that didn't go to church anymore. <laughs> it's soothing her conscience that she took somebody to church. So we went and stood inside the door, and, and we looked at each other, and we didn't know what do people do when it, it's the first time we ever attended a baptism. And so there was, a, there was a hubbub going on here. People were visiting, people were talking. Up front, there were several visiting ministers, ministers one from Kansas, one from Michigan. And, uh, and one, of the, uh, one of the preachers told Pastor Stowe, the young pastor, he was just a whippersnapper, 27 years old. And uh, he said, uh, looks like you got some visitors back there. And the young pastor took one look at us. I mean, we were dressed in our Amish outfits. He's previously from Texas. He had never seen any out. He said, they look like troublemakers to me. Maybe causing trouble for the ordination today. And so we finally sat down very timidly and the preaching started. Oh, I had never heard such preaching before. It cut to the soul. And then they had this young preacher come up in front of the church, sit on the hot seat and ask him, some 80 questions, Bible questions, doctrinal questions, and he had an answer for everyone at the tip of his tongue and used the scripture to verify it. My, I was impressed. See, in Amish, they just, they just vote, and whoever gets more than two votes gets to draw the book, the psalm book, and the psalm book with a piece of paper in it makes you a preacher the rest of the year. You've never preached before. You've never taught a, a lesson, but you're not a preacher, whether you can talk or not. It makes for some very dull preaching. We needed this preacher. We needed a church to be there. I mean, we didn't know, we didn't know much about the Bible, what we needed to know. We thought, we, we thought the, uh, the epistles were the wives of the apostles. We, taught, we, we thought that, that uh, Job said Job for Job. We thought it was, it was an Old Testament work. But, but the preacher took us under his arm. And by the way, that first day we were there, so I listened to that preaching. The song leader got up and he said, Well, everybody's invited to stay for a potluck dinner over at the fellowship hall. I looked at Joe. He looked at me. If there's one thing that the Amish have in common with the Baptists, we got good appetite. And we said, let's stay. So we went over, and I must have asked Brother Jones a dozen or more questions during that meal. He went over to the young preacher and said, Son, you got some people here that are hungering for the Word of God. Nine o'clock the next morning, he was out at our house. And he said, would you like to have a Bible, for me to have a Bible study with you weekly? And yes, we sure would. And we filled up the house. Joe's had 10 kids. We had five. And John and Mary were just more married. But we, we filled up that room. And you came, you taught us the Bible, the Bible songs. Great is the Lord. 
and greatly to be praised. We still sing those old songs and we still cry when we sing it. But he taught us, the Bible says, line upon line, precept upon precept, line upon line. I'm sure he got discouraged with these dummies out here that didn't know, but, but he, he never showed it to us. And now, yesterday, we wept as we talked, and, and I found out he had some serious heartaches and problems going on in the church. He never told us about it, and, and that was so good because we didn't need to know about that. We needed to grow and become stronger in the Lord so one day we could fight the preacher too like, like, the, like you had those things. I'm saying there's things that go on in churches that are in Baptist churches that ought not to go on but one thing I appreciate about the very fact, a lot of these churches, you can come, come in, the Methodists, the Lutherans, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you just come and we'll slap each other on the back and praise everybody and say how good everybody is. It's a good old boys fellowship of what it is. But in Baptist churches, we believe something. And because of that, we have our disagreements too. But I'd rather have it that way than to have, it doesn't matter what you believe. Because it does matter what you believe. You're going to spend eternity somewhere depending the difference is what you believe. Well, we're at number two. Well, number one was God wanted Titus at Crete. Number two was the Cretans needed Titus. But I want to say this too. Titus needed the Cretans. Preachers, you know how... You know how uh, lonely would be to go to church without people. We need the people. I mean, I, I, during this COVID, this crazy COVID thing, forgive me for saying the word because it's almost getting to be a cuss word for me. And, and, uh, but I, I preached with a, with a Facebook phone in front of me to an empty auditorium. I, I didn't realize how hard that is. Titus needed the Cretan. Yes, he needed the good. He needed the, the bad, the lovely and the ugly. He needed all of them. Oh, hear me, pastor. You need the people that God gave you. Thank God. I thank God for everybody that comes to the doors of my church. And I tell them, when they come through those doors, they automatically, especially first-timers, they're on the top of my priority because I'm called to minister to them. And so, uh, love them, folks. Love them. Bless them. Weep with them. Rejoice with them. Learn with and from them as you teach them, as you rebuke them, as you train them. Because preachers, you are the under-shepherd. And the under-shepherd needs to picture the great shepherd. You need to reflect the love of the great shepherd. Thank God for entrusting you with souls that have an eternal destiny. And you can make a difference for eternity. What a great honor, but oh, what a responsibility. Howbeit, with faithfulness, this responsibility is, carries a great reward. God says in Hebrews chapter 6, 
God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. That means keep on ministering to them. Not over with when you lead somebody to the Lord. There's more to be done. The apostle, told, apostle Paul told Titus, stay in Crete because God wants you there. Stay in Crete. Because the Cretans need you. Stay in Crete because you need the Cretans. Some of the best made ships, some of the biggest, the most expensive ships in the world have been destroyed at sea because they didn't hold up against the storm. The storms of the high sea. There will be storms. There will be storms. Somebody commented if the Titanic would have just never left the harbor, nobody would have gotten killed. No lives would have been lost. But folks, can I tell you today, ships are not made to stay in the harbor. Ships are made to go out on the deep sea. And Ships staying in the harbor would be an absolute nuisance. It'd be a total absurdity. Likewise, Christians on the sidelines, Christians that are disengaged in the work of the Lord, Christians that are uninvolved in the work of the Lord. I remember there's a couple, I'm not going to name them, at Philadelphia Baptist Church, a fine couple. And I, after being there for a while, I asked you, why? Why aren't they involved in teaching Sunday school? Why aren't they involved in going on visitation? Why aren't they involved in doing something? And you said this. They were in a church where they got seriously hurt emotionally. And they decided they would never get involved again in the work of the church. They would just be observed. That's a tragedy. That's the ship in the harbor. And really, a ship in the harbor gets in the way of the ship that, that are doing something. And that is sad. That's a tragedy. Don't stay on the sideline. Don't be uninvolved. These people are not doing what they were made to do. That can be very frustrating. You ever tried to drive a nail into a wall with a heel of a shoe? You can almost do it. You ever tried to, instead, you don't have a hammer, so you use that. Have you ever tried to uh, drive a screw? someplace with the claw of the hammer. You can almost do it, but it's really frustrating to try it. Finally, you just give up. People who are not doing what they were made to do are miserable, they're unhappy, and often become troublemakers in the church. Somebody who's a troublemaker in, in God's church is out of the will of God and they're miserable, they're unhappy. I believe, I'm telling the truth, if there's somebody in a church that's causing a great deal of trouble, you can count on it. They have a lot of trouble in their home too. My home is the most sacred place on this earth for me. Regardless of what trouble I'm going through, I know I will come home to a smiling, loving wife that makes me 
happy just to be close to her. That makes me able to carry a lot when I'm away from home. Fellas, guard your marriage. Stay in Crete, Titus. I can hear Paul encouraging him. Titus, be faithful. The Bible says, Jesus said, he that is faithful in the least is also faithful in much. He that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. Titus, stay in Crete. Success is not measured in numbers and fame. When, when, when Joshua took over the leadership of Moses, can you imagine how hard it would have been to follow his, take on his shoes, sandals? And God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that the deacons say. All that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good. Say it louder. That's the only place in the Bible that you find the word success. Connected with observing the word of God. How many books can you find on success in these self-help bookstores? Seven steps to success. But I found one that is three steps to success. It was a thin book. I like that one better. But you won't find real success, you do it God's way. And so, success is not measured in numbers or fame. But sometimes we act like it is. I, I don't know how to answer this when somebody says, Preacher, how's your church doing? How do I answer that? Because it could be doing better. We've got room for lots more. And it's discouraging when I think of all the people that in Cahoka that need to be in church that aren't, and we got room for them, but they're not there. But I want to minister to the ones that are there. Preacher, don't, get, don't punish your people who are there for the people who are not there. Thank God for what God has given you. Remember the man who received the two talents and he gained two more? He received the same reward as the man who had five talents and received five more, more than twice as much. But Jesus said to both of them, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. There's a world to come, folks. This is not it. And I'll guarantee you, the Democrats are not running the next world. When Jesus comes back, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, is what I want to hear just as God wanted Titus in Crete back then. I reckon there's an undesirable Crete that needs a faithful man today. And there's some people there that are bad people. And they're church building material. Because God says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And one of the problems that we have, we say, yeah, they're saved, but I can't get them to do anything. Yeah, that's because you led them in a little prayer and told them that they're saved when the Holy Spirit didn't tell them that. 
Don't you tell somebody that they're, they're saved. You can't see in the heart. I'll tell them, if you trust in Christ, you are saved. But I can't see in your heart. So what I have to do is I'm going to, I've led you to the Lord. I'll tell you, you, your name is written in heaven if you trusted him. But it's going to take me a little bit of time to see. Because the Bible says, judge them by their fruit. Fruit doesn't, you can't fruit, you can't pick fruit the same day that it blossoms. It takes time. I'm saying there's a place. There's an undesirable creek. Might not be far from here. That needs a faithful man. And you probably don't have to go looking for it. Most likely, you're already there. By the grace of God, David. If God can use an uneducated, old, crippled boy like me in his service, think what he could do with somebody like you, who's yielded, given up his Lord, what will thou have me to do? I'm simply saying publicly this morning to you, I have no excuse. I have no excuse for not serving God with my whole heart. What excuse are you making?